Welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Siguain. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player, and I've been vegan for over nine years. I'm also the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, which has helped over 500 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Palmer, who I actually interviewed on the Maxim Seguin Show last week. So we're back for another episode, but today we're going to be diving into ALA. Jeff has some amazing new information on that, and so he's very excited to share. I'm very excited to hear. So Jeff, how are you doing today? Good, good. This is this is a passion project for me, <laughs> something I've been working on for over 20 years. So I'm really excited where we've gotten to this point to be able to have some real science behind what I had been proposing for over a decade. Yeah, beautiful. Well, let's just give a quick background for people potentially that didn't listen to the, to the first podcast. I think you founded the World's Vegan Bodybuilding Association. That's correct. The World Vegan Bodybuilding Championship. So yes. it's the first and only completely natural and 100% vegan bodybuilding championship in the world. Yeah. Look at those guns. <laughs> I, I'm I'm working on. It. I got I you got a few years on me. I got I got some more time to pack yeah. on some muscle. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So yeah, again, you're at 60 now. I think it's your birthday soon, right? Yes, in January I turned 60. I've been vegan for 38 years. This is my 39th year being vegan. So. Next year, I can say I'll start my fourth decade of veganism. So exciting. Beautiful. So you've been in it for a long time. So for the people listening, take some notes, right? Jeff got some great insights. He has a lot of great new information to share with you today. Are we going to be doing a slide as well today, like last time? A couple of images that I think will help really explain it, because we're going to dive deep into some of the science, and I think the images really make it easier understanding. Awesome. So for the people listening on the podcast, we're going to try and describe them as best as we can. If not, the podcast is also available on YouTube. That way you get access to all the slides and kind of like the last podcast we did, I'll put the link down below for those of you that, that want to kind of take a look at it. So Jeff, the, the floor is yours. Let's jump into it. Okay. I guess the first question is, you know, what's my interest in this and why? Well, the big, the big question is, you know, can you get what you need in essential nutrients from a plant-based diet? If the science was saying, hey, uh, humans don't convert ALA, which is found in plants, the omega-3 that's found in plants, efficiently to DHA and maybe not enough to feed the brain. <clears throat> so that was the assumption based on what we saw in the bloodstream. And of course, that makes sense, the first look there. But now we know that's all wrong. <laughs> but we didn't know that. And by and large, most of the medical community still does not know this and still believes in the old ideology that plants aren't sufficient suppliers of omega-3s. Well, we now have the information to prove that absolutely wrong. Why is that so important? Because if it is true that you can't get omega-3s sufficient, so if it is true what the research has been proposing, that a plant-based diet cannot supply sufficient amounts of EPA and DHA and that you have to get them in a preformed state, then this would make a plant-based diet not an appropriate diet for human beings. And I said, yeah. 
well, wait a minute. We went through this with the protein, you know, oh, you can't get sufficient protein from plants that you have to get them from animal products. <clears throat> now we know that poppycock, but it took us a while to get to that level of understanding actually the essential amino acids in animal products are too high. It's not that plant products are too low. They're actually appropriate for human beings. And there's disease states that actually show that. Methionine, which is higher in animal products, one of the essential amino acids, much higher in animal products by and large, except for nuts, you know, they'd say, oh, then it must be better. Well, more is not necessarily better. And now we find out that methionine actually feeds cancer cell growth. So you don't yeah. want more. And this is what we're saying. It used to be a knock on plant-based proteins that they are low in methionine. Now they're saying, well, this is a plus that it's lower in methionine. So you don't feed cancer cells. Well, I think we're finding the similar type things. And first off, let's talk about essential amino acids are the nine that are essential, required by all, all human beings and herbivores. Carnivores have a 10th essential amino acid, which is taurine. Taurine plants don't make taurine, so yeah. carnivores have to get it from eating other animals. Okay, now in animals, <clears throat> herbivores, all herbivores have this chain. Let me see if I can pull it up on the screen real quick. Yep. And, and okay. while, while Jeff pulls it up, also, we, we had, we recorded a full podcast on vegan masculinity, where we dove a little bit more in depth as well on the amino acid profile and all that. So for the people that want to listen to it, I'll put the link down below as well. Perfect. Okay. <clears throat> so this is the omega-3 unidirectional uni conversion chart. So we all start out with ALA, if you're consuming any plant material at all. And the ALA from the plants, which is the only essential amino acid. So there are two essential fatty acids. Sorry, I meant fatty acids, not amino acids. Two essential fatty acids. One is omega-3 ALA. The other is omega-6 LA. At EPA and D DHA, the commonly things. I go to lectures all the time and I ask, what are the two essential fatty acids? Almost everybody says EPA and DHA. They are not essential because our body can make its own. We can use enzymes to convert ALA from plants into all five other forms. So this is all five of the forms in front of you, what you're seeing on the screen. And for those of you who are not watching on a screen, <clears throat> it starts out with, then goes to SDA, then ETA, then EPA, and then DPA, and finally at the bottom, DHA. Now, DHA is very important for the brain. Actually, about 97% of the fat in the brain is made up of omega-3 DHA. So big storage container is the brain. But that assumption is that, oh, the brain must require a lot of DHA. And we now know that is not true either. Yeah. Okay, so why does the body have this extensive five enzyme step process? For all this, if we only need EPA and or use EPA and DHA, why not just start out there like the carnivores do? Carnivores don't have these first three. If you're watching this and video, I've boxed the first three, ALA, SDA, and ETA, because you cannot get these from consuming EPA and D DHA. 
So this is interesting. Are those first three even important? Well, of course they are. The body wouldn't make steps like this, wouldn't produce enzymes, wouldn't you know, do yeah. the work for conversion if it wasn't necessary. It's the conservation of energy principle for the body. The whole body runs on it. So why does it have these first three steps? Well, they found in a study that those with the highest ALA, SDA, and ETA in the brain had a higher intelligence IQ, fluid intelligence, and higher, greater preservation of gray brain matter. So they actually kept more of their brain through their whole lifetime. Mm. Now, this is a unidirectional, meaning it only goes one direction. If you're looking at this on the chart, it's going down from ALA all the way down to DHA, which is at the bottom. Now, you wouldn't take a dollar bill and convert it all the way down to pennies if you didn't need pennies right? Yeah, you yeah. keep it in the dollar because the dollar can turn into quarters, dimes, nickels, or pennies. The yeah. same with ALA. The body actually takes ALA because it's a precursor. It can become any of the other five forms anytime you need it. So it takes this ALA and stores it in the body. We now know, let me pull up the other image. <clears throat> So this is what happens. So ALA enters the body through the digestive system, and then it goes and gets processed and taken to specific tissues and converted if it's needed immediately, right? For inflammation yeah. or for heart health, EPA, DHA for brain health, liver function, all of the different things. And then whatever is left over, it stores in the liver, in fat tissue, and in the brain. That's why there's so much fat in the brain. It's a storage reservoir for DHA. That way we have a lot on hand so we don't run out. Because in nature, sometimes there's a lot of food, sometimes there's not so much food, like in the winter. Yeah. There's not as enough plants around. So the body actually stores a lot of this omega-3 and uses it. Now, an interesting study found that actually about 50 grams of DHA is stored in the body at any given point in an adult human, 50 grams. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but when you look at what the brain actually uses, it uses two and a half to three and a half milligrams per day. Oh, wow. So 50 grams would be about 20 plus years worth of brain DHA stored yeah. in our body at any given time. So this idea that we have to get DHA on, an, on, a, on a basis is just poppycock. There's no, there's no good reason for that. As a matter of fact, they've taken, they've taken children. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Let's say, isn't that funny how there's like that fear that is being installed that all these things are going to go away when your body's ultimately wired for survival, your body's a storage machine for the things that it needs fundamentally to live for as long as it can ultimately. Totally, totally. And so it can maintain homeostasis. Homeostasis yeah. is, the, is keeping the perfect balance. It always keeps a little extra on hand so that if you're running low or if you're going through a little starvation period or you're injured and you need more, it has backup on hand. And in this case, it backs up a lot of it. <clears throat> Actually, even more so when women, they've shown higher DHA conversion rates of ALA in women. Now, why is that? Well, because they can get pregnant and then they have two brains to feed. <laughs> yeah, you got to pass so, it off. 
Yes, exactly. They're storing some up so that they can have it in the breast milk and give it to the infant so that the infant can start out with all the DHA it needs for its brain. And, and it's really funny. They did studies that says, well, if that's the case, then what if we just feed DHA supplements to you know, pregnant women or nursing women, what happens? Well, they follow the children after their birth, giving them 800 milligrams of DHA and found absolutely no difference between those who got no DHA at all, none. None in intelligence scores, none. Actually, the ones that got DHA performed language skill stores a little worse than those who did not. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so this, this concept is marketing. It is marketing to sell fish oil products. What we do need, and the only essential omega-3 is ALA. Now, the reason they got to this idea that it doesn't convert well is because they were looking in the blood. At first, they were just doing blood draws, plasma, right? Yeah. All right, so the body is not converting it there. It's pulling it into specific tissues and then converting on an as-need basis. Do you need some now? Great, then we'll convert some. Otherwise, we'll hold on to it in its ALA format because I can convert it to EPA or DPA or DHA or EPA or ETA or SDA. I, I have all the choices there. So keep it in its perfect precursor format and keep it in surrounding tissues so that any tissue that needs it for any time any gender specific, any condition specific. So you have, you know, low blood pressure and you need more EPA to increase your healthy blood pressure, then the body will convert it on an as need basis. So yeah. the body has a regulatory system to do this. That's why there's so many steps is that so it can turn an enzyme on and produce that enzyme and convert it or turn it off when there's too much. So interestingly, if you take DHA, which is at the very bottom of the chart, remember, it's all the way yeah. at the bottom of the chart. If you take DHA, let me go ahead and stop. So if you take DHA, which is at the very bottom and introduce it into the body in its preformed state, the body thinks, well, I've got enough DHA. I must have made too much by accident or something. And it yeah. turns off all the enzymes. And what happens is EPA starts to accumulate. It backs up. It's like putting the brakes on the conversion. So all the conversion yeah. stops at EPA. Now they found when you do this, it actually causes dysfunction in learning ability and memory in the brain. So by adding DHA, you're backing up EPA, causing an overaccumulation of EPA. You're interfering with the body's self endogenous inside the body self-regulation so it, it is constantly turning on and off these enzyme productions through epigenetics that's the turning on and off of certain genes to produce yeah. an enzyme so the body has this perfect five-step enzyme to regulate turning on and off the spigots for each one of those for every specific condition if you've got diabetes you're going to need more dha less epa if you've got High blood pressure, you're going to need less or more one or the other. These ratios are really important. Otherwise, you can upset the balance. So we're taking these downstream metabolites of EPA and DHA, like from fish or animal products, and putting them in our body and just screwing up the whole process. So it actually has consequences to basically yes. taking in too much in that form. So you said there's a slowing down of, I say, brain capacity, the best way to put it. 
Yeah, so it can have all kinds of disruptive factors of imbalancing the body's ratio that it controls endogenously. It's like skipping ahead, right? Say, okay, if you take thyroid hormone and put it into the body, the body thinks it makes its own and shuts down its own production. If yeah. you take testosterone from outside the body and put it in the body, the body thinks it's it's got enough, so it stops producing its own. If you do that for too long, the body will actually just turn off production of, of testosterone completely. So those guys yeah. taking steroids out there, some of them have to stay on testosterone sup shots the rest of their life because of that. The same with melatonin, right? What's that? Same with melatonin as well, right? Correct. And this is why it's it's a little dangerous to interrupt these things because the body has a way. Now, vitamin A, some people say, well, vitamin A, beta, beta carotene is a lot weaker. Well, the body is actually doing the same thing. It's taking vitamin A and storing it in the skin, which acts as a natural sunscreen to help you from getting skin cancer. And then it yeah. converts it to vitamin A retinol when you need it. Because yeah. we know that if you take fish oil liver, for instance, with real high amounts of vitamin A in it, it can become toxic and even lethal. A high, high dose can actually kill you. Mm. So this is why the body has endogenous regulatory systems. It takes plant precursors, holds them, then just little by little adds them when our body needs them. This so is a, why this whole system is built in our body and why every herbivore on the planet has this system. So it's basically, first, the main point is like the body's beautifully and perfectly made to be able yes. to handle all of these things. And then the second is like, I, just from gathering as well, like the diversity of the food you're eating is very important. So you can keep those storages full through that diversity that you're consuming. Well, the body does all the process. The only thing you actually need is the ALA from plants. That's it. Yeah, but I'm saying so by eating a diversity of food, when you look at a vitamin A or all of these, like your body yes. is able to store them from that diversity of food versus for people that are always eating, like I'm going to eat salmon, rice, and broccoli because that's what I was told I need to do to lose weight and it's healthy. <laughs> right. So remember, fish and all animal products do not have ALA. They have EPA and DHA. So those are downstream metabolites. This is another reason that shows us that our physiology is set up of like that of an herbivore. All herbivores start with ALA. Carnivores, on the other hand, don't have those first three steps mm -hmm. because they can't convert plants. They've lost the ability. All carnivores and fish lose the ability because fish eat algae and algae have preformed EPA and DHA. So that's all their bodies needs. So the... The only essential fatty acid omega-3 is ALA for humans and all herbivores. And the only essential fatty acid for carnivores is, and fish, is EPA. And then it can convert down to DHA. So totally different physiological systems. That's how we know our body is physiologically hardwired as a, a, a thing. Now, there's interesting data on on Inuits, people who are living in the North Alaskan area, native to that culture. They're yeah, not a lot eating of people's a lot of argument. That's a lot of people's yes. arguments. Like, what about these guys? They don't eat vegetables the way we do. Right. So what they found is <clears throat> the scientists have studied their bodies and found an adaptive allele. So an allele is basically a 
subprogram stuck to your hard drive <laughs> that runs a backup process saying, okay, if you're not getting the ALA that we actually require and only getting EPA and DHA, we'll do the best to make the best of that situation. Now, it's a backup. It's made to be temporary. Ideally, people living in that cold climate only being able to get fish would get the heck out of the cold climate, <laughs> just like most human beings do. They move yeah. to a warmer climate where the food is more plentiful and they don't have to get forced to doing that. Well, yeah. they didn't do that. They didn't listen to their own freezing bodies and they stayed in that climate, <clears throat> unlike any other, practically any other animal. But they made a temporary, they have a temporary adaptive allele stuck to their basic DNA that allows them a benefit short-term. Now, what happens long-term is the detriments start to pile up and yeah. they have a much shorter lifespan than typical human beings anywhere else on the continent. Yeah. So again, it's a short-term adaptation that the body is saying, we'll try to make the best of this bad situation, but until you get moved out of here into a better climate. Yeah. So it was just built in, I guess, through like adaptation and generations and generations saying like, we need to survive and adapt to this environment. And their body kind of built a speci special aspect that allowed them to be able to yeah, handle like the food to a certain extent. It's program to add to a hard drive or add to a program that is running already and say, well, since we're not getting <laughs> that, let's stick this little adaptation on there to, to at least make the survival happen, you know? And yeah. it does it, it extend some survival, but, you know, with lifespans in their 50s rather than their 70s, you can see what it's doing. It's not a perfect program. So oddly enough, when you take Inuits and put them back into a normal dietary pattern, their bodies can readapt to that too as well. So it's nothing permanent. Yeah. So so basically, it's kind of like the conversation we had last week when we talked about vegan masculinity, we talked about the amino acids, how we're getting that secondhand protein basically through it. Yes. We're basically getting that secondhand um, fatty acids from yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So they did, they ran the study on people and, and fed them a whole lot of EPA and DHA, right? Preformed from supplements like most likely fish oil. And they said, okay, now they're sufficient. They're super sufficient. They're saturated with this omega threes. Now let's look at their health markers for C reactive protein and other things that are markers for cardiovascular disease. And they found, oh, it was a little bit lower. That's good. Mm -hmm. That means the EPA and DHA helped. Well, that would have been good. But then they said, well, wait a minute, let's just go throw ALA on top of that and see what happens to them. And their body improved even more. Yeah. So wait a minute. So even those who had sufficient EPA and DHA, not only sufficient, but abundant, got added benefits of the ALA. So there's ALA and SDA and ETA benefits that you're not going to get by getting EPA and DHA, the bottom three. So what you're doing is you're missing out on benefits when you're just consuming animal products. So you're not getting the added benefits. As a matter of fact, the more plants you consume, and this is really interesting. They did this study. It was called the Epic Cohort Study, the Norfolk Epic Cohort Study. Great study. It was the first to look at vegans, really, and see what's going on with them. And they found that the conversion rate in vegans was much higher than those eating fish. And why is this? 
because their genes turned on significantly. When you're eating fish, you're getting DHA. The body says, well, I don't need to convert any. I'm going to shut down those enzymes that do the conversion. Yeah. But when there's no DHA coming in from the outside, the body says, well, great. I'll step up my enzymes. And the conversion rate happened even more. So we become more efficient at converting ALA to DHA than those actually eating fish. This is an improvement of our body. It's an efficiency process. Our body gets really good at doing this, the less wins. So every time, if you're eating a pescatarian diet, all that ALA that you're taking in, that's vast majority of where human beings get their omega-3 is ALA in mm -hmm. seed oils and nuts and grains and beans. And it's all in dark greens. It's all over the place in the plant kingdom. So yeah. when yeah. you eat fish, you are stunting that your body's ability to process the more abundant ALA omega-3s in your bodies. You're making your body less efficient by consuming that fish oil, less able. They showed the highest rates of DHA were actually within that uh, higher stored amounts of DHA were actually in vegans. So this mm. is this is pretty amazing. And it's it's topsy-turvy to what out there even preaching that. And I'm sad to say even some of the plant-based doctors saying you must take algae, EPA, and DHA. So I went out and I found, okay, so ALA and SDA, the top two, those are the most important. Now, why is SDA important? The first step from ALA conversion to SDA is called the rate limiting step. There's some people that have genetic issues. It's a fraction of a percent or whatever. It's a small amount of people, but some people do have this issue and don't yeah. convert it. About 30% less conversion in okay. certain people with genetics. So that's called a rate limiting step. It's the six delta desaturase enzyme step. But this plant called ahi flower, pull this up here, this is what I yeah. found. Ahi flower is the richest source of SDA. SDA is the next step on the ladder, so it skips that six delta saturase step. So that you don't even have to worry about it. It's already pre-converted to SDA so that you can get beyond that, even if you've got genetic issues that are limiting your body's ability to process that. So this is really cool. I went out and found ahi flower. I talked with the folks about it. I was just amazed. Ahi flower won the next year award for the best supplement of the year in 2016 out of over 3,000 products entered in the United States. How do we spell that just for the people listening that could uh, see the bottle? Ahi flower is ahi, kind of like the fish ahi, and then flower. flower. Uh, okay. And Ahi flower is, it's got a funky name, Buglerarius or something like that. So I won't bother you with the genus species name, but it was originally called stone seed. The seed was as hard as a rock and it would break your teeth if you tried to bite down on it. So no animal, you know, messed with it. Yeah. So it became really super efficient at producing these oils because it didn't really have any natural thing. But researchers looked at it and said, oh my God, this is the richest source of omega-3 and omega-6 essential fats of any plant in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to get this out because the efficiency of it, because it's the highest in SDA of any plant in the world. I mean, yeah. this is phenomenal. It has rich source of GLA, which is an anti-inflammatory omega-6. 
I mean, it's just, just mind-blowing how good this is. That's why it won the top supplement award in the United States because yeah. of the research on this. Multiple studies showing it's up to four times more effective than flax or chia or hemp. This is my passion. I, I want to debunk these myths that somehow mm. a plant-based diet is not effective or sufficient nutritionally. I think those are the fear games that people get played upon to keep them from turning. What they feel is, hey, I want to do this because it's more compassionate for the animals, or I want to do this because it's the right thing for the environment, or I want to yeah. do this because I'm seeing my parents you know, fail in their health, and I think this is going to be healthy. But people keep getting scared by this, oh, it's not nutritionally adequate, and it's yeah. bollocks. Yeah. It is total garbage, and we now have the science. I've pulled together probably over a hundred different studies on essential fatty acids specifically, but we won. Almost all the data is on EPA and DHA because it's paid for by the supplement companies and the and the fish oil folks that want to prove, you know, efficacy. That, yeah. And and so there was nothing on ALA because it's just in all the plants we eat. So nobody was really excited about that. So you can't make money off of it. Right? You can't make money off of it. So why do a study on it? Exactly. And then, of course, it wasn't including vegans, so they couldn't see the difference. They made yeah. all these assumptions based on the data that was coming back in only those taking fish oil or EPA, DHA in preformed state and only eating a standard American diet, which included lots of meats and dairy and all those other things that have that in it. It never looked at people. What happens to your body, to your physiology, once you remove all the animal products. Our physiology changes, our enzyme production shoots up, our ability and our efficiencies get way better. Mm. And of course, the longer you're on that, the more efficient your body becomes over time. So yes, if you're making a change, might you see some things and see some changes? Well, shoot, but yes, now we have some supplementation that can help you up the ante on that and not have to deal with those small transitions while your body adapts to the change. So uh, I'd like to ask, so for the people that are listening, they're like, okay, we understand that ALA would be the better form to consume. Like we mentioned, it's in, it's in a lot of the foods that we consume. Should yes. they be looking for foods that are higher in ALA or should they just focus on diversity and it's going to kind of happen as they're focusing on diversity or should they seek specific foods? That's a great question. And I think some of the better foods out there are obviously flax and chia, but remember to grind them. If you eat whole flax or chia, they can be undigested and you get zero omega-3 from them. So I heard it's better to, to grind, them. grind them fresh, right? Because if you grind let them, them sit fresh, for a while. Right? Because if you grind them, they, it immediately exposes them to oxygen and then oxygen can degrade the oil and the fats and make them rancid, which then is not a good thing. So you yeah. turned a good thing into a bad thing. So normally animals would chew these seeds and break them up with their teeth, but human beings don't chew like that. <laughs> well, not anymore. We put them in the smoothie for the most part and we just <laughs> exactly. drink a whole seed. Or yeah. chia, chia pudding. I, I breaks my heart every time I see people consuming chia pudding. It's so popular and knowing yeah. that they may, may not be getting hardly any omega-3 out of it all because they're consuming it whole. The chia secretes a gel gelatinous material, which makes it into a pudding, but that gelatinous yeah. material prevents it from being digested or broken down. So they're really could not you, getting could you out make, of it unless they chew it. Could you make a chia pudding with crushed chia seeds? It would just have a different texture ultimately. 
It would have a different texture. Obviously, it's not like tapioca where the spheres are still intact, but yes. And, and if you made it immediately or let it sit in the fridge overnight, that's probably okay too as well. But again, the best way to do this is to grind them and, and eat and consume them right away and only consume what you grind. Keep it fresh up until that point. Remember, the seed packages it with a hard coating to protect it from the oxygen and antioxidants. As soon as yeah. you break it apart, you do release the good stuff, the omegas in it, but it also exposes it to oxygen. That's why I like taking it in a soft gel so it's protected from the sunlight, it's protected from the oxygen and won't degrade over a period of time. So those big bags at Costco of crushed flax seeds are not ideal. Oh, no, you can smell them. <laughs> Pass the nose test. If you can smell something different or slightly bitter or, or, or unpleasant, that's rancidity. That's the oxidation of the oils. And by the yeah. time you can smell it, it's already <laughs> harmful. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. yeah. So besides those two seeds, is there any other specific foods that would be high in LA? Hemp seeds and obviously I have flower seeds, but hemp seeds are, are one of the best. Hemp is one of the other few that has SDA in it. I Flax and chia do not have any SDA at all. Hemp does have a little bit. And then ahi flower has about five to eight times as much. And, and it also has the GLA in it too. So ahi flower has the ALA, the SDA, and the GLA, as well as the omega-6 essential fat acids too in LA, all of which are anti-inflammatory. So you're getting a very powerful anti-inflammatory mix that you won't get by consuming just the ALA, like from flax or chia, or the ALA plus a little bit of, of SDA from hemp. Hemp is better of the three, but, but ahi flower even more superior than all of them. That's why I like that. To me, I'm into optimal health, not yeah. just sufficient health. As I want to see <laughs> how well I can do in this lifetime, not just can I get through to the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So for the ahi flower, so there's an, there's an oil version of it. Is there, I guess you can't buy the, the full, like the full format of it because it's too hard, right? Yeah. You can't consume it. Birds, birds don't even eat it. It's not, they, they can't even crack it open. It's that hard okay. of a seed. So it has to be machine opened. Yeah. Fortunately, we can do that now. Now, it could have been back in the day, it could have been done by using stones and crushing it open since humans have the advent of tools. But, you know, most of the animals aren't able to to crack open that seed. Yeah, you see a, a deer with like four missing tooth, you know, he tries to eat one. <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> well, awesome. So I, I know you mentioned you had a new studies that you're excited to share on ALA. Yes, so... Up until now, they were only looking in the bloodstream for the conversion rate. We now know that most of that conversion doesn't even happen in the blood. It happens in the tissues. Well, the only way to measure that up until now is to take a chunk of tissue out of people. Uh, I don't know that it's a very Who's good Who's volunteering idea. for that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, taking a little chunk of my brain away is, is not a good way to, to, to learn how, to, how much is actually storing in the brain. Yeah. So they finally came up. They had tracers where they were actually making you know the ALA radioactive just barely not enough to actually do any harm or anything and mostly in animals unfortunately for the poor animals and then cutting their brains open and see what's happening and sure enough in the tracers they were showing they wait a minute you can take 
animals and deplete them complete of DHA and only feed them ALA, and they'll have just as much DHA in their brain as some that mice that are only fed DHA. So no difference whatsoever. Yeah. All right. But then you can say, oh, well, that's just mice. Does that really convert to human beings? So they're like, well, how can we do this without being invasive? Because yeah. it's not in the blood, even in red blood cells, you can actually take ALA and your and consume it, and your red blood cell count will actually reduce DHA. You can actually almost eliminate DHA from your red blood cells by taking really high amounts of ALA. Now, why would the body do that? Well, there's a good reason for that. The blood is circulating, right? And it's up against the possibility of blood cancer mm -hmm. and cardiovascular disease because the blood's pumping through the heart. Well, EPA and ALA are much more effective at reducing cardiovascular disease. So of course you'd want those in the red blood cells because they're better at what they do. Yeah. And so the funny thing is the people were taking ALA and saying, oh wait, my DHA levels went down. Well, no, that's your, that's your blood cells kicking out an inferior DHA because it's not as good at protecting the red blood cells. ALA and EPA are better and replacing it with ALA and EPA. But that's what they were doing. They were drawing red blood cells out and see, see, you're taking the plant stuff and now your DHA is gone. Yeah. Yes, that's accurate. No, that's the wrong assumption to be making. <laughs> yeah, so it's... Again, going back to the body is perfectly made when it comes to these things and being able to balance it everything and protect you. Doing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I love how we admire the complexity of the human body when it comes to like a child being born or all these amazing things. But then when we really should go down to the basics of nutrition of like, you eat this thing, your body's going to basically going to die because you ate this specific thing. Like your body will be able to auto-regulate and balance everything ultimately. It will, to a point, obviously you can't keep put, yeah. putting toxins in the body. It'll eventually catch up and start causing disease states, which we see with cholesterol, we see with arachidonic Cancer, acid. Alzheimer, Cancer. yeah. Exactly. And it's interesting, Alzheimer's is, is a disease state where there needs to be a balance of DHA and arachidonic acid. So you need a little bit of arachidonic acid because it helps form some certain things in the brain and it's necessary, but just a little bit. Now, our body can take LA, which is the omega-6 found in plants, the essential fat, and convert it all the way down from GLA to DGLA and then to arachidonic acid. Now, arachidonic acid is pro-inflammatory by and large. It can convert to prostaglandins, which will, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, it's generally what the body uses for pro-inflammation. If you work out, you store arachidonic acid in the muscle, you squeeze that muscle, it releases some arachidonic acid. That's a pro-inflammatory state to say, come over here and repair and build the muscle. It's a cell signaling mm. thing. So it's, so it's a good a inflammation. Bit, it's a good it's inflammation. A good inflammation. Yeah. That's healthy inflammation. What you don't want is chronic inflammation, which causes disease states, arthritis, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, they're all inflammatory conditions, all yeah. of them. So arachidonic acid is, the, is the, the one that causes the inflammation, one you don't want too much of. Mm -hmm. Well, plants only make LA and DGLA or GLA, which are all anti-inflammatory versions of omega-6. The only way you can do that is convert it in an animal. 
when you eat animal products, even dairy and eggs, you get preformed arachidonic acid, pro-inflammatory arachidonic acid. Now, if you're eating this all the time, there's this buildup, this influx of dietary arachidonic acid coming into your system and filling up your brain. And we now know that arachidonic acid has a direct correlation to Alzheimer's disease. It combines with the dietary oxidized cholesterol, forms inflammation, and the cholesterol then forms the plaques. You have the cholesterol, which only dietary oxidized cholesterol only comes from animals. Dietary arachidonic acid, pro-inflammatory, only comes from animals. When you eat those animal products, that cholesterol and the inflammation caused by the arachidonic acid causes heart disease, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, erectile dysfunction, all of these arterial diseases. Mm. It's amazing and it's right there. Plants don't produce cholesterol. Now they yeah. do in tiny amounts, but not nothing significant. And plants don't produce, cannot produce arachidonic acid. Only you can get that from animal products. And that's fish, eggs, dairy, meat, chicken, all of it all contain arachidonic acid. So we're filling our bodies by consuming these animal products with cholesterol, which is clogging our arteries, and then the pro-inflammatory arachidonic acid, which is causing the inflammation, which causes that cholesterol to form plaques. It's the one-two punch, and we're doing yeah. it with every single meal practically in this country, <laughs> and it's yeah. killing us. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the majority of people's plate, not just every meal, right? It's like it's like two half to two thirds of their meal is what they're consuming. And I can't even, you know, the carnivore movement kind of came along maybe like what a year ago or so, and people was like, that's the new thing that we're going to focus on. But I can't even imagine the amount of damage that they're causing to their body. You know, well, in years. those keto diets, it's interesting because you're starving the body of carbohydrates when you remove the 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 carbohydrates like that. Well, the brain runs almost exclusively on glucose. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it can operate in starvation mode or toxic mode. If the body gets poisoned, it's going to need a lot of extra energy because it's trying to defend itself or heal itself. But the brain says, okay, I can run on ketones for a short while, but not long term. After a while, I'll start to dysfunction. Even worse in the heart the heart uses more glucose than any other part besides the brain. And the reason is because it's pumping constantly, right? It's in yeah. action all the time, whether you're sleeping or not. So this pump has to convert a lot of ATP through glucogenesis. So this, what happens is if it starts to run on ketones and ketones alone, like those on a keto diet, what happens is it is not producing enough energy so the mitochondria, the energy producers of our ATP in our cells start shutting down. And when they do, the cell collapses. Now, this mm -hmm. is an interesting and sad and scary part of this, this study is that when that cell collapses, the body says, I'm not getting enough carbohydrate energy to provide a replacement for that cell. So let's fill it up with fibrotic tissue, scar tissue. So it's replacing healthy heart cells with dead sclerotic tissue, fibrotic tissue. That's awful. And then you get these patches where there's 
non-functioning parts of the heart. And eventually you get enough of that and the heart dysfunctions. You get yeah. fibrillation or heart attack. Yeah, it's, which is scary. It is. And so for the people listening that, again, I feel like there, there's two worlds. You're obviously in the fitness space and the health space as well, which sometimes people don't consider both of those worlds. They're like, I want to look a certain way. And I heard keto is the fastest way to kind of get there. So people want the, they want the deadline to be as close as possible as when they start ultimately. They want fast result. So a lot of people will go to keto just for that specific reason, but they don't understand the level of of consequences that they're putting into their body. So I explained it beautifully for people to understand, like, it's not, if you, you want to look great, but you want to feel great as well. Right. It's like, if that's a damage you're causing to your body, there's no six pack in the world that is worth dealing with all these health conditions. It's, it's funny on the sugar level. So our brain needs about 115,000 milligrams of glucose per day. <laughs> and and yeah. we need three milligrams of DHA. So all this, oh, you need DHA for brain function and don't don't do any sugar. It's just the opposite. It's the truth. We need a yeah. whole lot of sugar to feed this brain. As a matter of fact, we could not have such big brains if we were not high carbohydrate eaters. A really cool study just came out a couple of weeks ago that just got published and showed that uh, it's actually an older study, but the article came out publishing it, showed that they looked at the oral microbiome of the teeth of Neanderthal and prehistoric man. Now, we're not direct descendants of Neanderthal, but early Cro-Magnon man also had the exact same thing. They had dental plaque. So yeah. in the plaque, they had DNA fragments of the actual microbiome in the mouth. So those different microbiome organisms, microbiota, are going to be more present depending on what food they're eating. Yeah. The number one most abundant DNA by far blew away every other form of, of thing was starch. Starch. So early humans were starch eaters. Now this makes sense. This makes beautiful sense because what is the number one source of energy for the brain? Glucose. Yeah. What is the number one food source for glucose? Starch. It is condensed. There's 300 to 1,000 units of glucose in a single gram of starch. Yeah, which so is, this a is exactly what allowed our brains to expand in capacity. We needed a lot more glucose. And once we had a food source, starch foods, starchy vegetables, corn, potatoes, things like this, roots, beets, mm -hmm. all these things had the starch that we needed, even green bananas or, or beans and grains. They actually found the most common thing that Neanderthal man was eating was, was barley cooked barley okay right just it just defeats the point of people saying like we need to eat like our ancestors and that's why they justify consuming a ton of meat. <laughs> i wish I was we like, would eat like our ancestors exactly there wouldn't be as many diseases and ultimately when we start to develop the most ultimately is when we start to include these foods and what's what's cool about that is right now there's so much confusion confusion about how to eat like there's so many nutritional point of views and like religions of nutrition if you want to put it that way everyone has different beliefs mm -hmm. about nutrition and so many people are confused, right? And so that's why I like doing these podcasts with people like yourself to come and educate people. But when you really want to look from a, I'm a very logical person. If you look at it from their standpoint, our ancestors, 
they didn't know all this information. So they just naturally went with what their body wanted, which was starches. If it was something else, that's what they would have eaten because there was no one to sure. tell them like, you shouldn't eat those. You'll get fat. They're like, I want to, because I need to survive. But like, there was no one to tell them this is the wrong thing. They just naturally went for what they want to. And you're telling me that it's starches. That's really powerful. Yeah. And the researchers from Harvard who wrote the, the, the study said, this is what we believe allowed for encephalization, the mm -hmm. growth of our brains to be larger. If we didn't, meat, eating meat alone does not supply enough glucose to feed a human brain, period. It doesn't. You can't do that. So, yeah. so and, and we know now that the only way our brain could get to this size is that we had a sufficient regular supply of glucose from starches and carbohydrates. So, and it's, it's interesting that's, that's going into the mouth. So we know yeah. what they were actually eating, but what we actually know what they were pooping out too. Yeah. They, they found, they went to seven, all seven different continents from Africa, Asia, Australia, North America, South America. They went to all the different continents and found what are called caprolites, which are fossilized human poop. And they okay. found that they were consuming every single one of those groups were consuming 100 to 250 grams of, of fiber per day. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> the cool. average yeah, American that's a lot. today is like eating 15. 10 to 15 grams. Yeah. <laughs> so they were eating 10 to 25 times as many plant foods as the modern American. So if you want to eat like a paleo, start munching some plants, baby, because you got a long way to catch up to what they were pooping out. <laughs> so what, one thing you said about keto, so basically ketones is like the emergency response to your body to yes. try to compensate for lack of glucose. Correct. It's, it's three different instances. One, when you're starving, it's a backup resource so that your brain yeah. can keep running when it doesn't have glucose. Two, if you get massively injured or poisoned. So if you're yeah. injured, your body's going to need a lot more energy to try to heal and repair as quickly as possible so that yeah. you stay alive. And then the third, injury, toxicity, or starvation. So those are the three. Okay. Those are your backup systems. That's a backup system. It's for people doing keto on a regular basis. It's like driving on your donut tire for 500 miles. No, yeah. that's to make you to get to the gas station so you can put on a real tire. It's a backup. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to use a, <laughs> I was gonna use a similar analogy, but it's like running with your tank low ultimately, right? And yes. it, the car won't function probably until you put in some more gas into it. Because I always use the analogy of the gank of the tank of gas and having gas in it when people are yes. eating carbohydrates. And when they do keto and like, I lost 10 pounds in one in like two weeks, I'm like, you just depleted your glycogen in your body. Like your tank is empty now. So like there's yes. a way to associate it to that tank. Some yes. people it's five pounds, some people it's 10 pounds, but it's not like real fat that you lost. You just depleted the glycogen in your body. And and the most of the studies shown that most of what they're losing is water weight because yeah. the body is trying to wash out all those waste byproducts that it's not used to processing. When yeah. you're processing ketones, it creates very toxic metabolites and the body has to flush those out quickly. Otherwise they'll cause even more damage. So the body uses a lot of water, more water than you're used to drinking and you drop a lot of water weight. Actually mm -hmm. about 60 to 70% of the weight that people initially drop from a keto diet is water. It's because the yeah. body's trying to wash out these toxic metabolites from burning ketones. It's not even fat. 
and even those that they showed over over longer term where it stabilized out and the water stabilized is that they ended up losing more muscle yeah. than those who are not eating carbohydrates. So it doesn't make you stronger. It makes you weaker. It makes you lose more muscle. Yes, you will lose fat. At first, you will lose fat faster than a low-fat diet. Yeah. Over a longer period of time, a low-fat diet will get you there sooner. We'll do it without the health consequences and will we'll not cause these dangerous metabolites to be formed and, and toxemia, halitosis, bad breath, all these other nasty side effects, bad sleep, disruptive sleep, high cortisol levels. It's just an ugly thing. <laughs> Yeah, and people don't make that connection. Like, obviously, you're in the fitness fitness space. You've competed yourself. You understand that when you're trying to step on stage, you want to, you know, change those two variables: increase the muscle yes. and decrease the fat. But people don't make the connection where, like, I want to lose weight, and then they go on keto, or they want to do paleo, whatever other like new thing is out there. They don't realize that they're losing a lot of muscle with their method, yes. and then it defeats the purpose. It's not an improvement in body composition. People just end up looking skinny fat. Ultimately, that's what happens at the end of it. They don't look like lean or tone or strong. They're just like a skinnier, lighter, fluffier version of themselves. Indeed. And when you look at whole food carbohydrates, they're wrapped in antioxidants, polyphenols. Polyphenols actually can convert to things like urolithin A, which actually accelerates the uptake of glucose into muscle tissue. So mm. it's like insulin on steroids. <laughs> so it's nature's little steroid. You know, it helps you build muscle, helps your metabolism become more efficient. And it's packaged right in there. Your brightly colored foods, your mm. fruits, your berries, your apples, your your things that have bright colors to them, they all are really high, dark greens. The darker the color, the more rich they generally are in polyphenols. And polyphenols help your body metabolize and become efficient so that you're not needing to carry as much body fat. What is body fat? Stored energy, right? You know, yep. when I, I look at that little bit of a couple pounds that circles my belly button almost eternally, <laughs> even as a bodybuilder, I look at that and I say, oh, that's future muscle. And that's basically what it is. It's not converted into muscle, but it feeds that, right? It's the storage. Yeah. But our body hangs on to this. And that's a great system to carry extra backup storage of energy so you just don't run out. What you do is keep supplying it a good source of energy consistently. And it says, oh, I'm pretty consistent. You're getting a pretty, giving me a pretty consistent. I don't really have to store as much fat and then can release that body fat. It's when yeah. you do this dieting, the yo-yo dieting, right? Where you do severe things, cut out things. And then it says, oh my God, that was severe. Let's store even more body fat now but to compensate for you doing that again. <laughs> yeah. I tell people, you're in the middle of the desert. Your body is like, doesn't know that you're in a controlled environment. You're willingly choosing to do that. It thinks you're in the right. desert and you don't have access to much food. And then when you find whenever you're like too hungry and you end up like binging or eating, yep. you just ran into a buffet. Your body right will store. Oh, right yeah. into storage. <laughs> Yeah, normally that mostly would be processed. The brain would get a 25% of all the glucose that you're putting in your mouth. Even more, if you're really active and feeding your muscle tissue, that's where it should go. And mm -hmm. then some of it is being stored, a little bit of it being stored back up. If you're sedentary and not exercising, if you're eating you know, processed foods that have them already, those sugars already liberated, and you're not getting the nutritional intake, your body's going to say, wait, 
you gave me enough calories, but I'm not getting enough nutrition. So yeah. send some more food down and those cravings will continue and you continue eating, continue getting fatter. It's yeah. hypernutrition. What are plants? If you look at plants, they're mostly water, high in fiber, which helps the digestion, and then high in polyphenols and high in micronutrients. That's everything the body needs. So it gets super saturated with all its micronutrients, and then you just have to eat enough to meet your caloric needs. That's yeah. a perfect system. <laughs> and the beauty is you get to eat a ton of food, even if you're doing a fat <laughs> yes. loss, right? That's the cool part. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love to talk about, we, we brought that up on our last conversation. You mentioned, is it, it's called duckweed? Yes. So does that have to do, that has to do with the conversation with ALA as well, right? Because it's a new it, discovery. It does because it's such an awesome source of omega-3 fatty acids. Just a single little scoop of, of powdered duckweed will provide a, a third of all your omega-3s for the entire day, up to a half, depending on... So duckweed is like it sounds, the ducks were eating it and the weed that floats, it's like little micro lily pads, real tiny little lily pads, but they're the richest source of nutrient density of any plant ever discovered, higher than spirulina, moringa even, which used to be considered the number one superfood. This yeah. beats all of them. It's phenomenal. Even NASA is using it for the astronaut missions to Mars because it's so efficient and so much of the nutrition. And it's one of the first plants that can, in a single dose, provide 100% daily value of bioavailable vitamin B12. This used to be thought to not exist in the plant kingdom at all. And now yeah. we know many plants actually have B12, just not in real high amounts. But if we ate a lot of them and in enough quantities, and well, or even just if we ate duckweed on a regular basis, we would be getting more than enough B12 that we need. So yeah. I'll be bringing that to the American public soon enough too as well. Yeah, so I'll put the link down below because you do have your own supplement brand, Clean Machine. Yes. So I'll put the link down below because I went on your website after we talked about it. I was like, let me get some of that. But it's going to be coming soon. Yes, it sold out. Unfortunately, <laughs> right as we were about to reorder, a brand new study came out. I encourage you guys to look it up, guys and gals. It's called the Green Mediterranean Diet. So they took the Mediterranean diet because it's the number one, been voted the number one diet, the best diet in the world five years straight now. So they took that diet and said, well, can we improve on it by simply adding a little bit of green tea and duckweed? Mm -hmm. What they found was that it doubled the amount of fat loss than the Mediterranean diet alone, and was three times more effective at losing body fat than the standard American diet. Three times. Wow. And that's calorie controlled, right? So they're yeah. calorie restricting slightly, but it accelerated it because it's so rich in polyphenols. Remember, I was talking about those polyphenols. They assist our body in being able to us do what we really want it to do, which has become very efficient at utilizing calories. Yeah. So, so for duckweed, is there a way to like buy it as the whole leaf? I don't know if that would taste great or is it better in like a pill or powder form? The, the only concern with duckweed is that it's supra absorptive. That's why it grows so fast. It's the fastest growing plant on the planet, faster than even bamboo. Why can it, it, it doubles its size every 38 hours. So oh, wow. no other plant can do that in the world. But it's so efficient, it'll absorb anything that's in the water, including toxins. Uh, 
So you don't want to get it from a dirty lake or a dirty river. And unfortunately, most of them are polluted right now because of traffic and everything else. So yeah. we get ours from a specifically grown controlled tanks. So they control yeah. everything that's in the water. That way, you know, it's clean and it's not absorbing. It's actually one of the few proteins in the world that can claim to be Prop 65 compliant for heavy metals because they control what's in the water. You can't control what's in the soil very well. <laughs> yeah. What Would it be considered an, an adaptogenic plant for the duckweed? In some ways, I'm sure it is. It hasn't been categorized as that, but okay. that would be my guess because it's so nutritive. It's yeah. super high in polyphenols, great source of, of fiber, both prebiotic and standard fiber. B12, I mean, it's got almost everything that you need in it. The WHO called it the most complete food source on the planet. Um, mm. So I just wanted to make sure that I would make this more available. But as soon as that study came out, our sales shot up 1600% and we sold out in days. Yeah. Um, so we're now working with the company to ramp up and scale up so we can meet demand because everybody's knocking our door. Once they found out this thing, just a single serving, three yeah. times the increase in fat loss. I mean, of course, everybody wanted to get a hold of that. Plus, yeah. it's high in protein. It's one of the highest in protein of all the plants. The only thing a scoop? little bit higher density is algae or spirulina, but spirulina is not as an algae. It's not a true plant. Yeah. What's the protein per 100 grams? It's like 35 up to 50%, depending on its growth time of the year. So, oh, wow. That is really high. Yeah. Like a protein powder, ultimately, almost. Yeah, exactly. So I, that's why I thought, I was like, wow, I finally found a plant that's high enough naturally in yeah. protein that I can use the whole plant. Instead of you take pea protein or rice protein, then what you do is take out all the fiber, all the micronutrients, all the saturated, all the good fats, and yeah. you're left with just the protein. But you've stripped it out down to white bread, basically, the equivalent. Yeah. Whereas this, you can get all that protein you know, a tiny scoop, 10 grams of protein, plus a third of your fiber for the day and your polyphenols and your omega-3s and all your vitamins and minerals and, and B12 and 90% of your iron in a single scoop. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. That's powerful. But you can okay. get it in more of a whole food state with all the nutrients intact instead of a stripped out, you know, Wonder Bread version, yeah. which is what most of the pea and rice proteins are out there. Yeah. So I just want to give a warning for people that are listening to this. This is not a supplement that you would take and eat shit for the rest of the day because it provides you so much nutrients, right? <laughs> sometimes we're just looking for shortcuts. Like, I don't need to eat healthy and watch my food. I'll just take this. Every oh, day. So, no, don't do that. <laughs> right? So the rest of your nutrition is important. You still need to exercise, right? It's Absolutely. just, it's there 100%. to add and support what people are doing. That's um, why it's called a supplement, to supplement yeah. a healthy diet, whole food, plant-based diet and exercise. It's an addition to it to improve your overall health and make sure you're getting your nutrient coverage for the day so that if you are having a, you know, something else during the day with family or something like that, at least you're getting your bases covered. But no, it's not a substitute for good food and exercise. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jeff, was there any last studies that you wanted to share with us? Was there any, did you have any more, more slide that you wanted to share with the audience? 
There's this one last study. I'm not quite allowed to share the slide yet, but I will okay. soon, but I can talk about it. And so the study was done at the University of Toronto. Professor Brasnet had worked on this, Brasnet had worked on this. He was the one who put out the study. The 2015 study is DHA synthesis from ALA sufficient to supply the brain. That was a game changer back in 2015. Now we know that ALA does supply this. But with this new carbon isotope method of finding out what happens to that, what they found out was that ALA is converting to EPA and DHA in sufficient amounts, but the body has so much big stores of DHA, the vast majority of that DHA is the body is saying, okay, you made DHA, don't need it, let's burn it up. And it's oxidizing it. It's beta oxidation, turning it into energy. Remember, yeah. it's a fat. It can burn it as energy too. So even essential fats can be turned into energy and be used just like any other fat can be. So the body is just actually saying, okay, I'll use it for energy source because we got a ton <laughs> of DHA stored in our body fat and our brain, our liver and everywhere else. Don't need it. So what they were seeing when they were doing blood draws was there was very little conversion. There was a lot of conversion going on, but they didn't see it in its final state because the body had already metabolized it, broke it down into energy sources. Yeah. But when it breaks down into energy sources, it still leaves its carbon signature. Its footprint is still there. And this now this new method can see that footprint, the carbon footprint, because it's a carbon chain. Fats yeah. are long carbon chains, like 20 carbon chains stick together. That's what makes essential fatty acids or PUFAs. They're long chain fatty acids, right? That's what a polyunsaturated fatty acid is or an omega-3 fatty acid is. It's a long chain or LC-PUFA. That long chain is carbons and those number of carbons have a specific signature to them. And even when they're broken down and used for energy, you can see that. In, still in the bloodstream. And that's what made the difference. That was the final bit of proof showing that ALA does in fact convert plenty to DHA, but the body was actually just taking that DHA says, I, I don't really need it. I've got plenty stored and burning it off. Now we know. The thing is we couldn't see that until we had this new carbon isotope way of a method of finding out what was really happening in the body. And again, the only other way is just to measure it in the brain. And we've seen that in the brain of animals, which we unfortunately can just cut open and see that even ALA fed the brain and restored the brain. They took basically starved the animal of any omega-3 to wipe out its DHA in the brain and then fed it only ALA and that animal restored full brain capacity of DHA. So we know it converts in animals, and now we know the same thing is happening in humans. The reason it doesn't show up is because it's being immediately metabolized in the bloodstream. So no need to buy fish oils, no need nope. to buy algae oil, nope. like the flax seeds, the chia seeds, stick to whole foods. To be able to hit those, right? Like the whole foods, your if you're not regularly eating good sources of omega-3, at least take something that does like flax oil or chia oil or ahi flower oil or something to get that in into. Remember, 
athletes are going to need a little bit more. It's not yeah. just the DHA for brain. It's also the EPA for heart and muscle tissue too as well. It's ALA for brain preservation and, and overall intelligence and cellular protection. So there's lots of sources from it. Still and important to get sufficient amounts in it. And just be honest with yourself, just like vitamin D3, which is actually not a vitamin, it's a hormone. If you're inside, like we are right now, <laughs> a lot of the time, and you're not getting direct sunlight, at least put it back into your body. And that's where I think supplementation can play an important role to make sure that you're getting your health bases covered. Otherwise, get it from whole foods. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely the athletes need a bit more of everything, right? Because they're expending that, that energy. So Jeff, I would say a massive thank you for, for taking the time to jump on a, another podcast with me and sharing so much of your knowledge. Every time we talk, I learn something new. So I'm very confident the audience got some new tools as well. And I think it's really powerful because that is the main argument, right? A lot of people that listen to the show are wanting to transition to eating plant-based or already vegan, but don't know how to do it properly necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so the information you shared this podcast and the other one, which I highly recommend people listen to, I think is very insightful because you know, I've been in this space for nine years and I never want to close my mind to learning. So I learned a lot about B12 and the amino acids last, last week. And then this one, a lot about ALA and the fatty acids, which is one of the main arguments that we get when we tell people that we went vegan. And it's, it's fear-based. There's a lot of misunderstanding. I don't blame the doctors. It's what they've been taught. It's what's in their textbooks. They're just yeah. parroting what they what they assumed. The misinterpretation of the data is understandable because the assumption was that animal foods are better for us, and they're not. And it's clearly yeah. over and over and over again. But that was the base assumption. It's been the base assumption for 100 years that eating animals is better for you. And it's not. Just the opposite is true. But because people weren't looking for that information, because they just assumed that animals were better, it wasn't until the data started looking at and including vegans and started looking at things like ALA, they're starting to see a whole different picture. Oh my God, that's not true. You know, So be careful of old data and old advice. We That's what I love about science. It's constantly changing because we're learning new things all the time. Mm. And you know, people say, oh, but Jeff, you're biased. Well, of course I'm biased. I've been vegan for 38 years. But I want to show people why I can be thriving at 60 mm. years of age, 38 years plus being vegan and not buying into this fear that you need fish oil or you need animal products to survive. It's just simply not true. I'm living proof, but now I went out and got the scientific proof too. And I'm putting it into papers. I'll be speaking at the, hopefully, I'll be speaking at the Vegan Summerfest in this summer in 2023 at the University of Pennsylvania, along with some of the top base plant-based doctors as well as a guest of Dr. Milton Mills. Thank you, Milton, if you're watching. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So for everyone listening, I'll put all the links down below to Jeff, to his podcast, to the clean machine, to the presentation, everything will be down below. If you guys have any questions, go send a message to Jeff. Very, very awesome man. You'll get to learn a lot from him. Jeff, just a massive thank you again for all your information. And I'm excited for more podcasts to come. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me some time to share this awesome information. And I hope it empowers people to make that choice for the animals, for the environment, and for a better, healthy body. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support 
please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.